Well, as we turn to God's Word this morning, uh, the main text for our message is 1 Peter 3, the second half of verse 14 uh, to verse 17. Uh, Now, this passage speaks of us giving a defense for the hope that we have within us, and so uh, that's going to be the theme of the message this morning and the theme of the passages that we read. Um, And so Pat will come and read for us this passage from 1 Peter 3. Next, I wanted us to go to Colossians, and sorry for the typo in your bulletin, but we're actually reading Colossians 4, uh, 3 to 6. Colossians 4, 3 to 6. It really reiterates the message that Peter has for us, that we as Christians must be ready to give an answer, give a defense for people who ask us the reason for the hope that we have. And again, it's the Apostle Paul that writes to us in Colossians. It's Peter that writes to us in 1 Peter. And so this just shows the, the unity of the scriptures around this theme, how we ought to be a, a people who can give a defense, who can give a reason. Then to return to that theme of hope, that we have to give a reason for the hope within us, Don will come and read for us uh, from 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9, where Peter really does everything he can to outline just how great a hope that we have. Um, And so we're going to read that text together. And then lastly, uh, Kathy will come up for us and read to us from Isaiah 8, 12 to 13. We're reading Isaiah 8, 12 to 13 because these words are quoted in our passage this morning. Um, When Peter tells us to set apart Christ the Lord as holy, um, he's thinking back to Isaiah 12 and 13. And so these are words for us to set apart the Lord as holy, and will play into this great hope that we have, um, as we will see as we look at First Peter three fourteen to seventeen. And so, at this time, Pat, if you want to come on up for us and begin our reading of God's word together. First Peter three fourteen through seventeen, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Colossians 4, verses 3 through 6. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. First Peter 3, I'm sorry, First Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to re- be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you may be grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isaiah 8, verses 12 and 13. You are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or dread, be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Well, as we come to 1 Peter 3, verses 14 to 17 this morning, I think the main theme that the Lord would have us consider in these verses, even though there's a few points we want to get to, the main theme that the Lord would have us consider is the theme of hope. Now, hope is just one small word in this text, but again, I think that hope is the controlling idea of this whole text. You can see the word hope in verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So that's what people are asking about. They are asking about the hope that is in us. Now, this passage is also mainly concerned with the idea of suffering, that we as Christians will suffer, will suffer opposition from the world for our faith. And it seems to me that what this verse makes clear is that the reason we will suffer opposition, the reason why people who are not Christians won't always get along with us, won't always like us, is precisely because of hope. (laughs) Because we have a hope that they don't have. And because we have a hope that they don't have, it means that we live in a different way than they live. And because we live in a different way than they live, we suffer opposition. We suffer persecution. So I think what Peter wants to tell us is that we need to fix our eyes on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And then as we fix our eyes on that hope that we have, that hope will so transform our lives, so transform our actions and behaviors so that our lives themselves will become a witness to the world of just how different it is to live for Jesus And when our lives are a witness in that way, then this passage here of 1 Peter 3, 14 to 17 will start to make sense. (laughs) What do we do when we suffer? What do we do when people ask us the reason for our hope? You see, if, if we don't have a hope in Jesus Christ, if our lives don't present anything to the world that is different than what they know, then guess what's going to happen? Nobody's going to ask us about the reason for our hope. They'll assume that we're just like them. They they won't ask us anything. We don't do anything different. We don't know anything different than them. So we have to have this hope so that we have a different lifestyle so that we can be asked questions. And if people do ask us questions and we, we give this defense of the hope that we have, 
And again, like Peter's pointing out here, then we can expect opposition. And then we as believers have to know what to do with opposition. But you see, all this, all this thought, all these words about giving a defense for the hope that we have and about facing opposition, those words only make sense if we have that hope in the first place, right? If we're living for Christ in the first place. And so I want to begin the message here this morning and, and think about how this hope is so transformative so that when we come to these words in 1 Peter three fourteen to 17, we'll start to understand why we need to be ready to give a defense and why we should expect suffering. Because again, if we don't get the hope right in the first place, then none of these downstream effects are going to make any sense. So, what is it about the Christian faith that produces hope? Or why is hope itself so important for the Christian faith? Well, you all may remember from the famous love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 that the Apostle Paul identifies three chief Christian virtues, right? Faith, hope, and love. Those are the three biggest Christian virtues that we can have. And Paul does say in that chapter that the greatest of these is love. And he, the reason why he says that the greatest of these is love is because love is the only one of those three that will never pass away, right? So even when Christ returns, even when eternity comes, we will all still be a loving people. We will all still practice the virtue of love. But faith and hope will pass away. Why will faith and hope pass away? Well, you don't need faith anymore when faith becomes sight, right? Faith is the virtue that we practice when we can't see something. We, we, we trust that it's there, right? That's Hebrews 11.1, 1, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So when faith becomes sight, faith will pass away. It's the same with hope. Hope will one day pass away, right? Because hope is what you have when you don't yet have something, but you're looking forward to it, right? That's what hope is. It's looking forward to something that you don't have yet. But, beloved, the day is coming. Let's look forward to it. Let's hope for it. The day is coming when we won't have to hope anymore because we're going to have it. (laughs) We're going to see it. It's going to be a reality. But as long as it's not a reality, as long as it's still in the future, We have to practice the virtue of hope. And that is why faith and hope, in addition to love, are such critical Christian virtues. Because so much of what we long for as believers, so much of what we long for, and I don't know what you long for here this morning, beloved, but what I long for more than anything else when I think about it is how when God the Father sent His Son to die for my sins so that I could become united to him in faith, he welcomed me, God the Father, welcomed me into this relationship with him that he has with his son. So I have become, by faith, I have become a son of God. And when God the Father looks on Jesus and he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, and I'm united to Jesus, I long for that day when God the Father will look on me and he will say those same words. He will say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I will know the fullness of the Spirit. I will know the smile of the Father. I will know the union with the Son forever and ever. This is what I long for. This is what I hope for. This is what I know I have only tasted at the smallest portion of to this day. 
And yet there is so much more coming. And so I have this enormous hope. And this is what Peter is speaking to in 1 Peter chapter 1. We read verses 3 to 9. And so I invite you right now to turn back just a couple pages to 1 Peter 1, looking in verse 3. Notice what he says here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed, another word for happy, right? Happy be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Beloved, is this not a glorious statement of the great hope that we have? The hope that is sure because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as it says in 1.3. So it's through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and it's to an inheritance. An inheritance, beloved, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Beloved, it's so important for us as believers to live on the basis of hope, because we do not have our inheritance right now. Right now, We do not have what is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Right now, we live in a world that is perishing, that is defiled, that is fading away. We live in a shadow land, and we are waiting for the sun to rise, for reality to dawn, and to see everything in the light of day. You see, when we come to Jesus Christ, when we trust in him, when we acknowledge that through the blood of Jesus, we truly have been welcomed to the Father, at the same time, we realize that this present world is fading away, that there is a day coming when Jesus will return in power, and he will be displayed as seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he will reign forever and ever and ever, right? Just as we sing at Christmas every year based on Isaiah 6. We are longing for that day. We are looking forward to that day. And the reason why we are sure that we will come to that day is because Jesus got up from the dead, because death could not hold him. And if death could not hold the Son of God, if Jesus, if God himself conquered death once and for all, then we know that not even death can separate us from the love of God. We know that nothing in this world, right? This is Romans 8. Nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No power, no height, no depth, no authority, no opposition can separate us from his love. And all of these things are meant to fuel our hope. And so we live on the basis of hope. We don't live on the basis of sight. We don't live on the basis of what we already have. We don't rest on our laurels. We don't say, thank you, God, for blessing me today. I'm just going to enjoy your blessings today. (laughs) 
Yes, we have many things to be thankful for. Today, we have been given a foretaste of the kingdom that is to come. The spirit in our hearts is like the down payment on eternity. So we have the small taste, the small experience of this vast inheritance that is to come. And yet we recognize that it's only a down payment. That interest is accruing every single day. And one day, when the heavens are peeled back, when the shadow land fades away, we will behold God the Father as He is. We will become like Him because we see Him as He is. And then we will receive our full inheritance. Then we will know what all of this life was truly about. Then we will know what all the sufferings that we now experienced are truly about. Then we'll know what all of creation is truly about, beloved. If you live for today, you will live for things that are passing away. You will live for things that, again, like 1 Peter 1.4 says, that are perishable, that are defiled, that are fading. Yes, you can have joy if you live for the world, but do you know how short that joy will last? Do you know how short the pleasures of sin are? Sometimes they only last for 30 seconds, but let's say you get the best things the world has to offer. You know, you become as rich as Warren Buffett, and you, the world is your oyster. You can get whatever you want. Yeah, you can have joy. You know what? It'll last you a short 50 years, maybe you have less time than that, 40 years, 30 years. Do you know how short that is in comparison with the eternity that awaits us, beloved? Do not live for pleasures that last 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Don't live for pleasures that last 30 seconds or two minutes. (laughs) Live for pleasures that will last forever and ever. And as I say, the greatest hope that I have, the greatest hope that any of us have who have trusted in Jesus Christ is that hope of being united to Father, Son, and Spirit. World without end. Glory forever and ever. Pleasure untastable in our present form. That is the hope that we have, beloved. And so if you know that hope, If you live for that hope, is it not clear that you will live differently than the world? I mean, if you realize that, you know, you could have a million dollars next year, or you could have five dollars right now, what are you going to choose? I mean, I know it might be hard to not have five dollars right now, But I think I would choose to have a million dollars next year and give up the five dollars that is offered to me right now. And I think we can all understand that calculus, right? Even if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you can understand that calculus. And so I I just offer to you the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that if you just place your faith in him, If you will trust that he is Lord, that he died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead three days later, and he covers all your sins, if you have that hope, then you have a million dollars coming to you next year. It is as sure and as rock solid as that. Just like we read in Hebrews, we have full assurance, we have full confidence. Again, not because we are so good or have done anything right, but because Jesus is so perfect and he is so powerful. 
And his gospel is so sure and he cannot fail. And so we count that million dollars that is coming, we count that as money in the bank. Again, we can't access it right now, but we count it as ours. We say, I'm sure I'm going to have it. I mean, yeah, I I can't see it right now. I can't withdraw it right now, but I know it's there 100%. Total confidence. That's what hope is in the Christian faith. That's what hope is. Hope is not just, you know, crossing your fingers saying, man, I sure hope this happens. I hope this works out. That's not hope. (laughs) Hope is saying, I know from the very bottom of my soul, from the very tips of my toes to the top of my head, I know that I belong to the Lord and that there is an inheritance waiting for me that is unfathomable to me right now. And again, I know that, not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, but because of who Jesus is and the fact that I know him by faith. And so if we have that kind of hope, if, if we know that, again, this million dollars is coming to us next year, whatever, you know, whatever your dream inheritance is, I don't know what you most long for. You know, maybe it's a beautiful mansion. Maybe it's a nice sports car. You know, my, my kids really want a truck. You know, that's what they, they really dream about. So just imagine, I know it's earthly things, so it can't really compare to the glory of spiritual things, but just use earthly things to feed your imagination. To say, hey, this good thing is a reality. And then know that as good as any earthly thing may be, the spiritual goods that are coming to us in heaven are just like a million times better than that. (laughs) Again, we can't even fathom them right now because we don't even have the physical form that we will have then. We're, We're in these fallen, dying, decaying bodies. And one day we'll be given bodies that have whole new senses, whole new capacities for pleasure and joy that we can't even experience right now. And if we think of just how enormous that hope is, again, beloved, how foolish would we be? How foolish to live for the pleasures of today, to live for the joys of today. We must live for the glory that is coming, for the joy that is coming. And if we indeed live with that kind of hope, with that kind of joy, then surely you can see that no matter what kind of setback we may face today, no matter you know how many times we may have to give up the $5 that's being offered to us, we can always do it with joy. We can always do it with a smile on our face because we know what is coming. And so again, when we understand this level of joy, 1 Peter 3, verse 15, can start to make sense to us always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Again, why would someone ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you? Well, if you're giving up $5 every single time it's offered to you, that's going to beg questions, right? (laughs) People are going to wonder, like, why do you always give up this pleasure that's offered to you here and now? Why not just take it, you know? Why are you living for this hope that you don't have right now, this money that you can't withdraw from your account right now? Why are you living for that? What's your defense? What's your reason? It's only when we live on the basis of that future hope that our lives can prompt those kinds of questions. 
And so I pray that all of us who have hoped in Jesus Christ would live for that future day, would live for that coming day, and would not live for this day. When we live for that coming day, we will prompt questions. And as verse 15 says, when those questions are prompted, we are to be prepared to make a defense. We are to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us. I think what this is telling us, or what this is commanding us, is that our lips are always to be ready to speak of the gospel. Our lips are always to be ready to speak of the gospel. When it says, always be prepared, uh, always is a universal term, right? It doesn't mean sometimes be prepared. It doesn't mean when you're feeling up to it, be prepared. It doesn't mean whenever all the conditions are perfect, then you're prepared. No, it means always be prepared to make a defense. And so what is your defense for the hope that you have? I mean, if someone were to ask you, why do you give up on the pleasures of this world to live for another world? If someone were to ask you, why do you do that? What is your reason? What is your defense? How do you answer them? Now, I I do believe that if you personally have trusted in Jesus Christ, and if you personally know that Jesus Christ has washed all of your sins away, and that you do have that welcome from the Father, if you personally know that, then you personally should be able to give a reason why you believe that way, why you feel that way. And it is a personal thing. You need to be able to explain in your own words, right? It's not enough for me to tell you what to say in that moment. I mean, I, I can't explain to you what the right answer is, and, and you yourself, you know, you can then imitate the right answer. You can repeat what I tell you to repeat. But that's not the point that Peter's talking about here. The point is that you yourself have this hope deep in your soul. You yourself have this hope that's causing you to live dramatically different than you otherwise would. And so you yourself are able to explain why. Just explain your heart. Explain what you know. Explain why you do what you do. And beloved, if you don't feel like you can do that right now, if, if you're not sure what you would say, if, if you don't know that you could give a reason for the hope that is in you, then let me just encourage you just to press into Jesus more. Press into the gospel more. Find that assurance that you ought to have in Jesus Christ so that when someone does ask you, you are able to speak from your heart about how good Jesus is, how confident you are of his resurrection, how great you know your inheritance is. All of these things are the reason why you hope in the things that are to come, and you don't live for the things that are today. And so be sure that you are ready to give an answer. And again, make sure that you are always prepared to give an answer, that you are always prepared. In English, we have the phrase uh, to be on a hair trigger, right? You've probably heard that term before. You know, the, the image is just, you know, Guns use triggers, and some guns have a trigger that's very hard to pull. Other guns have a hair trigger, a trigger that's very easy to pull. Now, a gun that has a trigger that's very hard to pull, you have to put a lot of effort into that, you know? you got to squeeze that trigger really hard before the gun fires. 
And other guns, you know, the really nice ones, the sniper rifles, you just kind of breathe. You know, you just twitch your finger barely, and the gun fires off right away. When Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense, he's saying that we need to be on a hair trigger. That as soon as someone notices that our life is different, as soon as someone notices that we're in some way out of step with the world, are you prepared? Are you ready to jump in and speak of Jesus, speak of his resurrection from the dead, speak of his good news that causes you to live for another day and not today? Now, I know I myself want to grow in that way. I tend to be a private person. Uh, you know, I like my, my personal space, and so usually I, I think of myself as like a hard nut to crack. You know, if somebody really wants to get to know me, I'm happy to make myself known, but, you know, they're going to have to go to some effort. You know, I'm going to have to know that they're interested before I really, you know, spill my guts to them. And, you know, maybe in a lot of aspects of who I am, that's okay. It's okay to be private about, you know, maybe what hobbies I enjoy, what my favorite movies are, you know, all of these things. Yeah, let, let me be a little difficult to talk about in those things. But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ, let me not be a tough nut to crack. Let me not be someone who they have to ask me 10 times before I really get to the answer. No, let me speak of Jesus freely and soon and quickly. As soon as I see an opening, let me herald his goodness, herald his good news, all that he's done for me, the reason for my hope. Let me be always prepared to make a defense for the hope that I have. Now, we must also understand that when this is the lifestyle that we're living, when we're living this lifestyle where we are out of step with the world, when we're speaking about Jesus often and freely, we are going to come up against opposition. And I think we all know this deep down. I mean, that's really the reason, if we're honest with ourselves, right, why more of us don't share the gospel more often. Because we're afraid of rejection, right? We're afraid of suffering. We know that speaking of Jesus is not a popular thing. And that's why we like to keep our mouths shut so much of the time. And so we all know that if we do this, if we live in this way, if we really are out of step with the world, living for a future day, if we really are speaking of Jesus, guess what? There are going to be people who don't like us. There will be suffering that we experience. Now, give thanks to God that at least in the present time, the suffering that we're going to experience is probably not on the level of, you know, the Christians that Peter was writing to here. Um, you know, some famous church historian said that, you know, back in the time that Peter was writing, Christians had to fear the raised spear, and now we fear the raised eyebrow, you know? So that's the suffering that we worry about, the raised eyebrow. Um, But it is suffering, nevertheless, even if it's just a raised eyebrow, and we need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared for that. And so how can we be prepared for that? Well, look at 1 Peter 3, look at verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, that's what we're talking about right now, right? Suffering for righteousness' sake. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. 
Okay, this is to be our attitude to the opposition that we're going to experience. This is to be our attitude towards suffering. Have no fear. And then to amplify that, nor be troubled, right? So, so not only is it enough not to be afraid, you know, like you may not be afraid that somebody is going to attack you or kill you, but maybe you're still troubled about what their response may be. Well, Peter even says, don't be troubled, right? We are to be totally uh, mindless, totally numb when it comes to suffering and opposition that the world may bring our way. It's not to trouble us. We're not to give it a second thought. We're not to fear it. How can we do that? How is it that we can go about in our culture today knowing that if we live out of step with our materialistic economy, with our materialistic world, and if we're speaking often of Jesus and we know that this is going to get a lot of raised eyebrows, this is going to make a lot of people think that we're weird, how can we possibly not be troubled by that? How can we not fear that? I think the answer to that comes in verse 15. Notice that word, but. So Peter here is offering an alternative to being in fear of the world and being troubled by the world. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is the antidote to fear of the world. This is the antidote to being troubled by the responses that you may get to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, I love, first of all, that this word comes to us from the Apostle Peter. If you all are very familiar with your Bibles, then you know that Peter was not always a man given to fearlessness, right? Do you remember the story of Peter? Right after Jesus was arrested and he's being questioned by the Sanhedrin, And Peter kind of scurries away, right? He runs away from Jesus because he's afraid of, you know, the arrest and all that's happening. But he still stays close enough by. He goes around this fire and he can see Jesus being beaten up by the Sanhedrin not far away. And the scriptures tell us that a servant girl noticed his accent, you know, that he was a Galilean. And the servant girl asked him, you're a Galilean, right? You were one of those that followed Jesus. And what did Peter say? Again, Peter wasn't afraid of the raised spear at this point. He was afraid of this servant girl's raised eyebrow, right? He was afraid that she thought that he was connected to Jesus. And so what does he do? He says, no, I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. And he repeats that lie two more times. And so Peter himself was this man who at one time was a fearful, trembling man, afraid of the world, afraid of what other people thought of him, afraid of the bad opinion of those who knew that he had been with Jesus. But he obviously became a very bold witness to Jesus, did he not? In the book of Acts, we do see the religious leaders themselves, so no longer just a servant girl, but the religious leaders coming at Peter, telling him, no more may you speak in this name. And what does Peter tell them? He doesn't say, okay, okay, if you say so, I'm sorry. No, he says, we must obey God rather than man. And so Peter moves from this person who's fearful of a servant girl to this person who is bold, able to stand up to even the religious authorities of his day. And how does he do it? Well, again, in the book of Acts, Peter says we must obey God rather than man. He's putting it in those same words 
right here. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Or to translate that a little more literally, in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Make Christ holy, make him supreme, make him above, make him unique as Lord. The antidote to the fear of man, the antidote to worrying what other people think about you, what opinions they may have of you, the antidote to that is to fear the Lord rather than fearing man. You see, if God is very big in your mind, if God is holy, if God is majestic, if God is exalted, then people will be very small. You will not care very much what so-and-so thinks about you or what so-and-so thinks about you. Because so-and-so is just immortal. It's just a person who is here today and gone tomorrow, right? The grass withers, the flower fades. That's what all humanity does. But what stands forever? The word of the Lord, right? The Lord stands forever. He alone is holy. And when Peter uses this word, honor Christ the Lord is holy, he is reminding us of the images of God's holiness from the Old Testament. He is reminding us of Uzzah, right? Who did not regard the Lord as holy. And what did Uzzah do? He, he reached out and he touched the ark because he didn't remember that the Lord was holy. And what happened? He died instantly. He didn't realize the Lord's holiness or the sons of Eli who ministered outside the tabernacle. They forgot that the Lord was holy. And what did they do? They thought, oh, I can light this torch to worship God just because this is how I want to worship God. They offered strange fire before the Lord, it says. And what happens when they lit this torch that the Lord did not tell them to light? They died instantly. They did not honor the Lord as holy. Beloved, when we realize the holiness of the Lord, when we realize the supremacy of the Lord, we tremble in his presence. We fear him. We don't want to offend him. We don't want to do the wrong thing. And when that is our heart attitude, and again, we don't worry about who around us may think ill of us, about what they might say behind our backs, what they might think when we're done with the conversation. We just don't worry about that anymore because we're honoring Christ the Lord as holy. Now, I know maybe initially this idea that Christ the Lord being holy is somehow opposed to this master idea that I spoke of as hope. It seems like maybe on the one hand we're supposed to hope, you know, be filled with optimism about the glorious age that is coming, and on the other hand we're supposed to fear the Lord. You know, we're supposed to in some way draw back from him or or worry about what he's going to do to us. But beloved, these two things are not opposed to one another. In fact, hope breeds fear. Christian hope breeds fear. So I want to close on this point here. Christian hope breeds fear. How is it that hope, rightly understood, hope in a Christian sense, helps us to fear the Lord? Well, first of all, just consider that there are really two different kinds of fear that we could talk about. There's fear in the sense of dread, like I don't want to be around that person. I don't know what they're going to do to me when I'm around them. There's that kind of fear. 
But then there is also a fear in the sense of being like really impressed or being really amazed with something, right? So the fear of dread might be like someone who has an abusive father, for example, and they are going to fear when their father comes home because they know what happens when their father comes home. That's one kind of fear that you could have. But the other kind of fear you could have is the fear that's like uh, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, for example, and you've seen just the huge amounts of water that pour over Niagara Falls every second, and there's this little boat, uh, they call it the Maid of the Mist, right, that goes up like right under Niagara Falls almost and then goes back. And it is supposed to be this like thrilling experience, right, to go on the Maid of the Mist and go up really close to Niagara Falls. Well, that is another kind of fear, right? Because you're going to be, I mean, you're going to pay money, right, to go on the Maid of the Mist, to go up under Niagara Falls, and you want to get really close. You're going to feel the mist spraying all around you, and it is going to be a little bit terrifying, right, that all this water is pouring over every second. And if that boat went a little too close, you would all be crushed, and you would die in a moment. And so that's the fear of awe, of trembling before something that's just great and powerful. And so John tells us that perfect love casts out fear. And the type of fear that perfect love casts out is the fear of dread, right? We are not supposed to see God as some kind of abusive father who might do something really bad to us. And so we, we kind of shy away from him. We don't want to come close to him. That is not at all how we were supposed to fear the Lord. But we are supposed to fear the Lord like that boat coming up to Niagara Falls and just torrential waters pouring over and saying, oh my goodness, this is much too powerful for me. I could die in a moment. We're supposed to have that kind of fear of the Lord. And if that's the kind of fear of the Lord that we're supposed to have, then hope actually builds that kind of fear. Hope builds that kind of fear. Because when we read all that Scripture has to say about the age that is to come, we think about Jesus returning on the white horse, commanding legions of armies, drawing all the living and the dead into his presence to separate the righteous from the wicked. And then God the Father creating a new heavens and a new earth, doing all of these things that are just beyond what our brains can even presently fathom. If we, if we hope in God in that way, looking forward to this great future, how could we not tremble at the power of God to bring all these things to pass? And so when we properly hope in God, then we also properly fear God and His great authority, His great power. And when that is our hope, When that is the God that we worship, when that is the God that we fear, then no longer do we fear people. Again, as verse 14 says, we have no fear of them. We're no longer troubled. Rather, Christ is set apart as the Holy Lord in our hearts. And then we are prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason, for the hope that we have. And we are able to do it, as Peter commands us, with gentleness and respect, because we're not worried about the opinions of people, but we feel free, we rejoice in Jesus Christ, and we serve him alone. 
And so, beloved, I encourage you to embrace this life of hope. Embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives you this enormous hope. Through that, embrace the fear of the Lord. And as you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as you embrace the fear of the Lord, always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you. Would you pray with me now that the Lord would strengthen us to do these things that I've just spoken of? Feel free to pray for the needs of our city or the world in other ways as we go to the Lord now in prayers of petition. Heavenly Father, we indeed thank you that in Jesus Christ you have given us shelter from your vast holiness, from your vast power and might, you have let us come near. And so, Lord, even as we come into your presence right now in prayer, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we do tremble, God, that you are the God to whom we speak. And so would you help us now, Lord, as your people, to have a right apprehension of your power, of your glory, so that we can pray to you rightly? And Lord, would you hear our prayers, not through our own merit, but through the merit of your Son, Jesus Christ.